Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm so glad that you're watching today's message. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. I believe it'll encourage you, it'll strengthen you, and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Enjoy today's message, and I'll see you at the end of the broadcast. John chapter 16, verse 33. Hallelujah. He is good, isn't he? You know, a lot of our kids went back to school this past week, and some this upcoming week, and some in the week after that. But didn't anybody remember when you went back to school, let's say it was the first week of school, and you walked into the classroom probably talking to your friends, talking about summer break still, still trying to get adjusted, being back in a classroom. And before you've even settled in the classroom, you look up on the board and it says, prepare for today's test. <laughs> and you may be thinking, whoa, school just started. We just got back. And there's a test already? Anybody ever like that? Anybody ever had a teacher like that? I know we have a lot of teachers. Anybody in this room is a teacher like that? Yeah, I see, see, yeah. Mm -hmm. Some of you online too. A test already. You haven't had a chance to study for anything. You didn't think there was gonna be a test this week. You're still getting used. You may or may not have finished your summer reading. May or may not have. Maybe skimmed it. Maybe went to the store and got that summary of it. You haven't even had a chance to study good yet, and there is a test already. Say, there is a test already. Sometimes life is like that. When you're not expecting it, there is a test. You just got through something else, and now there's a test already? And that's what today's message is called, a test already. See, I started something last week. I only got through part of it, so I'm going to do a new mini-series called Passing the Test of Life. Passing the Test of Life. Not just taking the test of life. You know, there's a difference of taking a test in passing a test. How many know there is a difference? Come on, if your child came up to you and said, well, I took the test. Well, great. What was your grade? Because I didn't send you to school to take a test. I sent you to school to get a certain grade on that test. And so life is full of tests. Say life is full of tests. But my question for you is, are you passing those tests? Because you know what happens if you don't pass the test? It's not deep. What happens if you don't pass the test? Come on, let's try it again. You online, tell me too. What happens if you don't pass the test? How many of you are keep taking the same test for 30 years? Let me go a little bit further. How many of you are taking the same test that you've been taking 30 years? Your daddy took it before them. Your great-grandpa took it before. Your great-great-great-granny took it before. How many of you are taking the same test through your generations? And it will keep happening until somebody passes the test. 
Life is full of tests. Are you passing them? So let's do a brief review. And if you missed last week's message, we put all of our messages on our YouTube channel as well as our Faith Plus app where you can look at it and listen to it again and again because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. John 16, verse 33, notice what Jesus says here. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That word tribulation, we said, means a pressing together. It is pressure. It is affliction. It is distress and different degrees of trouble or difficulty. So Jesus said, in this world, you will have pressure, you will have affliction, you will have distress, you will have different degrees of trouble or difficulty. This is not a negative faith confession. Jesus is letting you know, this is what you are going to have on this planet. In the world systems, in this life, you are going to have pressure. And some people think, well, because I'm saved, I'm not going to have to go through it. Baby, because you saved, you're going to go through it. I would love to tell you this life of faith, this supernatural life, this miraculous life is a life free of pressure and free of tests. But baby, that would be a lie. In this life, you're going to have to deal with some things. You're going to have to go through some things. You are going to have pressure and you are going to have tests. That's what this life is full of. But everybody's response can be different to that test. And Jesus let you know, in this life, you'll have pressure, distress, different degrees of trouble or difficulty. But be of good cheer. That phrase, be of good cheer, means be courageous. Be bold. Be joyful. Cheer up. Why? I have overcome the world. What did Jesus say? I have the victory. I beat it. And what do we know from what Jesus did on the cross and through his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and him giving us the Holy Ghost? He gave us the victory. So be bold, you've already won. Be cheerful, be courageous, you're already on the winning side. So in life, we're not fighting for victory, we are enforcing our victory. You have to have that mentality when it comes to the tests of life, the pressures of life. You are already on the winning side. Spiritual warfare exists. I don't make light of it. But if you're always thinking that you're trying to win, baby, you're never going to win. But if you remember, Jesus already won, and I'm enforcing my victory on a defeated foe. The devil who's supposed to be under my feet it's a different mentality. It's a different expectation. When you remember, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, far above all principalities, powers, might, dominion, name that his name, in this world and the world to come. When you're seated with him, you know you have that perspective of victory. So when things show up and things are going to show up, you know you're on the winning side. You know, I made this statement last week, and I'll say it again. The time is over for always going through something and not coming out with anything. Because at least in school, if you pass the test, at least there's an A-plus on there. There's something on there. Maybe you got a sticker. At least you got a sticker. Some of you going through stuff, you ain't even got no stickers. You got nothing to put on the refrigerator. Look, I passed the test. Look, I 
You got nothing to show for it. It's time out for going through something without having anything to show for what you be. Because, you know, some of us have become used to the drama, used to the trauma. So what we show off are our scars. Not trophies, scars. And that's if they healed. So some of you ain't showing off scars, you're showing off wounds. They say, well, time heals all wounds. No, it does not. If you take care of the wound correctly with time, it'll heal. But if you don't take care of it correctly, it'll be infected. Time doesn't heal everything. What you do with the time can decide if you're going to be healed or infected. There's a lot of people who have gone through time, but because they didn't do it right, they're not healed, they're infected. Well, what does infected look like? Bitter. And so they pass off their wisdom, which is really just bitterness. Well, don't get your hopes up because this is what happened to me. Oh, you can't have a good marriage because this is what happened to me. Oh, you can't find a good man because this is what happened to me. You can't find a good woman because this is what happened to me. You can't have this because this is what happened to me. That's not wisdom. That's bitterness. Here's the wisdom. Here's the mistake I made. Avoid that mistake, and you won't have to fall in the same trap I did. That's wisdom. There's a difference from offering caution and warning and advice than spewing your bitterness. As Hebrews says, and many are defiled. So sometimes you have to be careful who you follow. Now, it's a gross example, but I'm using it to drive home the point. If somebody was throwing up, wouldn't you get out the way? If you saw it coming, step to the side. You'd help them, but you don't want to be in the splash zone. Anybody remember SeaWorld when Shamu would jump in the splash? You don't want to be in that splash zone. But how many of us sign up for people's throw up? Well, I won't do that. Well, let's check who you're following on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Snapchat and TikTok. Because the thing is, it's addictive. Come on. It's a dumpster fire. You just can't take your eyes away. Ooh. Ah. Go to Acts chapter 1. Don't subscribe to the bitterness. Expect victory. You can actually go through something, come out on the other side, refresh. Come out with a recompense. You can come out with a fresh anointing. Because you know what? If you pass enough tests, you get promoted to the next level. You can come up with promotion. You're not supposed to be in the first grade for the rest of your life. I'm sure crafts are fun, but we can't stay there. So many of us have craft-like Christianity because we can't pass the test. You want PhD power, but you can't even put the glue in the right place. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
See, I haven't even gotten to the introduction yet. That wasn't even the introduction yet. I'm about to get into my introduction for today's message. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Notice what Jesus is telling to his disciples after he's risen from the dead and right before he ascends to heaven. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem. Say Jerusalem. And then in all Judea, all Judea, the whole area, this whole country area. And then in Samaria. Now, to us, Samaria doesn't mean much. But to them, this is a culture that they are opposed to, that they've been taught to be opposed to. Religious observing Jews of that time considered Samaritans as half-breeds? I'm not making that up. That's really what they considered. They didn't like them because of their mixed racial heritage or their mixed beliefs. But Jesus said, I'm going to send you into a culture that's going to make you uncomfortable. And I expect you to love them like I do. Can you pass the test of being around people that don't look like you, believe like you, talk like you, sound like you, have the same background, and still love them like Jesus did? And unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So when we look at Acts 1-8, were they all supposed to stay in Jerusalem? Not your question. Were they all supposed to stay in Jerusalem? I'm sure a few of them were supposed to stay, but all of them? No. Now remember, a lot of the people he's talking to are Galileans. They ain't from Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus' ministry, although he did spend a lot of time in Jerusalem, wasn't mainly in Jerusalem. It was in so many places around Israel. But he says, I'm going to give you power. He says, stay until you receive that power. See, Luke 24, 49, the Amplified Classic, says, Behold, I will send forth upon you what my Father has promised, but remain in the city of Jerusalem until, say until, you are clothed with power from on high. So how long were they supposed to stay in Jerusalem? Until they got the power. That happened 10 days later. Say 10 days. Now, this is not a metaphorical 10 days. It's not a figurative 10 days. It is literally 10 days. We see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. The Holy Spirit is pouring out. They're baptizing the Holy Ghost. They begin to speak in new tongues. The Spirit gives, gives them utterance. And then Peter begins to proclaim a message inspired by the Holy Ghost. And 3,000 people are saved on that day in Jerusalem. Say, in Jerusalem. Let's look at verse 42 of Luke chapter 2. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, which is community and partnership and the breaking of bread and in prayers. That's good. Notice one of the things I want to point out before I go to the, my next point is that half of what the early church was dedicated to was community. This lets you know you're not supposed to do life by yourself. Yes, I know you're saved. Yes, I know you're anointed. I know, you, yes, you got a burning fire going to heaven when you die. Yes, that's good. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Shabbat. But you ain't supposed to do this life by yourself. You need community. Iron sharpens iron. You need other believers around you. You're not supposed to do this by yourself. And so, but my question is, where are they continuing steadfastly? Where? In Jerusalem. It's not your question. I'm not tricking you. Say, where? In Jerusalem. It is still the 50th day. They are still there. Jerusalem. And they stay in Jerusalem. 
Verse 46, so continually daily. Where? Well, how do you know that in Jerusalem? With one accord in the temple. Where is the temple? In Jerusalem. And breaking bread from house to house in Jerusalem. They ate their food with gladness and plenty of heart in Jerusalem. Praising God and having all favor with all the people in Jerusalem. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved in Jerusalem. So, question for the test. Where are they? Watching online. Put it in the chat. Where are they? Go to Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And when you look at the first eight, nine chapters of the book of Acts, all of the outside of what happened in Acts chapter 1, which is a period of about 10 days, and Acts chapter 2 was that one day, all of these things happen in a period of months to a number of years. So even though we can read through it quickly, it's not like saying, well, this happened the next day and the next day and next week. This is a period of years. It's either a period of several months or a period of a little bit less than 10 years. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God increased. That's good, right? And the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem. Great. Now, this is happening after the church has to deal with strife. Not the new under the sun. Now, what was the strife? There were the Hebrews, the Jews, and the Grecians, Gentile uh, converts, people who converted, or even Jewish believers who just didn't grow up in Jerusalem, and so Hebrew is not their first language. They have other culture and customs that are different than those who grew up in Israel. And so the complaint was that the Jews who grew up here get more, their widows get more food than the ones who don't. What's that complaint? Let me put it in modern day terms. Well, the white people get this, and the black people get this, and the Latinos get this, and the Native Americans get this, and nothing new under the sun. And so now the church is fighting because of that. And so the apostles stand up, just mad and Peter. You know, Peter's quick to say stuff anyways. And James and John and Thomas and Matthias, all of them stand up and say, look, it's, it's not good for us to stop teaching, preaching, studying, and praying and doing the work of the ministry to make sure you're not complaining because that person got more food because of the shade of their skin. Man, I'm getting really quiet. I can almost hear the people online saying amen. I can almost hear the, online, the YouTube people just going wild over this message. And it says, pick out from among you seven men of honor support, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith for this business. What is that business? Serving tables. They said our requirements for someone to serve food in the house of God is you got to be full of faith, you got to be full of the Holy Ghost, and you have to have a good report. And this is where the first deacons are chosen. The word deacon means to serve. That's what it means. And so after they put down the strife, notice how they put down the strife. They called up people to serve. How did they put down the strife? Somebody had to step up to serve. So that means they weren't just going to church and gathering to get something. That means there are people who actually came to give something. 
So that means if there's strife or friction in the church, that means some more people have to step up and... I heard a handful of people. Let's try it again. So that means if there's some friction or lack or issues in the church, that means more people have to step up and... I think some of them got to minister, Nathan. What do you think? Some of them minister. I think a few of them got it. So let's try it again. So that means if there's some issues, some strife or friction or stuff going on in the church, that means more people, not just the 20% who already do it, more people have to step up and... Just look straight. If, if you look straight, they don't know I'm talking to you. Just look straight. But when you start looking around, people know it's you being convicted right now. Just look straight. Just straight ahead. Eye contact. And notice what happened when more people served. The word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied. Because... Someone stepped up and served. And you know what? There are multiple places where you can serve here. If you're wondering, it's like, oh, I just, well, where can I serve? There's multiple places where you can serve here. We have this tremendous kids' world team that would love to welcome you with open arms. You know, over the last couple years, because there's a lot of shelter in place, there was a baby boom, and so we need to reopen that nursery like today. <laughs> like today. God added to the church in some creative ways, so we need to open up that nursery today. <laughs> so we need more people to serve to do that. And what would happen? Increase comes. But only if people serve. The word of place multiplied greatly. And the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Notice where? In Jerusalem. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Why is that important? Because remember, a lot of the priests have been resisting young Christianity. Now they're joining because people served. I wonder who in this community would come to Jesus if more people And guess what? Minister Isom, you know, we can give them some instructions when we dismiss on how more people can what? Yeah. Acts chapter 8, let's keep moving. I'm still in my introduction. Now what happens? So where are they? They are all in Jerusalem. Now remember, 3,000 get saved on the day of Pentecost. And then we read Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, a miracle happens at the temple in Jerusalem, and 5,000 other people get saved. So you got 8,000 people right there saved, plus everybody being saved every single day. So there are thousands of people who are born again, saved, living in Jerusalem. When Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem until, and then, well, where's everybody else going to the other places of Judea and Samaria? And they are the most plus on earth. Everybody is in Jerusalem. I wonder, did anybody ever go home? Because remember, they followed Jesus when he was going to the Jerusalem. Remember, on a triumph on when we're celebrating Palm Sunday, they went up to Jerusalem. They ain't left yet. 
What about everybody else? But they like Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. And what happens? A persecution rises against the church. They target Stephen, one of the seven deacons. They kill him. He's the first martyr of the church. Then you get to chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution, not just a persecution, but a great persecution against the church, which was at where? Notice where the attack and the pressure came. Jerusalem. Were they all supposed to be there? Try it again. Were they all supposed to be there? And what was the result? And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. That's just so interesting. Where did they end up going? Where they were supposed to be the whole time? Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So I guess they were supposed to stay, huh? And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Now, understand this. That Remember, we looked at Mark chapter 4 last week where it says uh, Satan tries to bring affliction and persecution, right? Affliction is that same word pressure we saw for tribulation in John. It is pressure brought by circumstance. And what persecution is, is pressure brought by people. And remember, we said there are different levels to pressure. And so there's different levels to persecution. We see this one on a high level. Satan is always looking for an opening to attack He's always looking for a place to apply pressure. As we saw last week, he sought to tempt and pressure Jesus at opportune times. He was looking for the best time to apply pressure. He was looking for the best time to attack. But also I want you to notice, Satan also looks for openings to attack and where you are not fully obedient to the word of God and God's plan for your life. Satan also looks for openings to attack in where you are not fully obedient to the word of God and God's plan for your life. The church was never meant to stay in Jerusalem the entire time. They were supposed to stay until they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which happened 10 days after Jesus ascended. So a question for you today. Are there open areas in your life for attack because of your partial obedience? I didn't say your full disobedience. I said your partial obedience. Because look, the church in Jerusalem, they're preaching, they're getting people saved, right? They go on to church, they're building a community, they're doing good, they're serving. But they weren't doing everything. Satan always attacks, he always brings pressure. But sometimes the impact of that pressure is determined by your obedience. Because they weren't fully doing what God wanted them to do. They were in the place where they wanted. Havoc could have been made. 
Is there some things in your life where there's havoc because you haven't been fully obedient? Where we all deal with pressure, but that pressure wouldn't have been much of anything if you were doing exactly what Jesus told you to do already. I'm not talking about areas you didn't know the plan of God. I'm talking about areas where I wasn't sure. You, you know. You don't got to fast, pray, intercede, supplicate. You don't go all do that. You, you already know. I'm not talking about things that are mysteries that you got to pray out on the Holy Ghost. You already know. Are there open areas in your life for attack because of your partial obedience? Notice God was still blessing them, wasn't he? Wasn't God still blessing them? God will bless you as far as you allow him to. God will bless you as far as you allow him to. But you can limit how much blessing you experience by your obedience. It's not that God's heart towards you changed. It's just you're not putting yourself in a place where all the blessing is flowing. So imagine like this. So imagine we just had this open pipe and water just pouring out right here. If I stay already over here, I ain't getting no water, right? I'm closer to the water. It may splash a little bit, but I ain't getting much. What if I step over here and put my hand in it? I get a little bit. But if I want the full amount, I have to stand under the spout. So many Christians have partial manifestations of what God has promised because they're in partial places of obedience. If you want everything, you have to be in the place God has called you to be in. You have to be doing the things God has called you to do. A few weeks ago, my wife went on a vacation, and we she took a morning walk with me. It was a walking around. We were talking about being in the plan of God. And I made the statement, being in the plan of God is not enough. It's not enough for me. I want to fulfill the plan of God. Because I can be in it and not do everything. I want to do everything he's assigned me to do. I want to show up at his throne and hear, well done, not just well. Come on in. Just take a seat. You made it. Just chill for a moment. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you lord over many things. That's what I want to hear. But that's going to mean I got to stay right here. Your partial obedience will always limit what God can do in your life. Satan was trying to destroy the church. He wasn't trying to scatter the church. He was trying to destroy it. Right? You got to think the attack of Satan is not just to irritate you. It's to kill you. He comes to steal kill and destroy. He wants to obliterate you. The attack wasn't to scatter the church. He was trying to eradicate the church. But he failed. And the plan of God still went forward. They still ended up in Judea and Samaria and eventually to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what they went to do, right? 
the plan of God still happened. But the thing is, there's multiple ways for you to get into the plan of God. How many of you ever realized that? There's multiple ways into the plan of God. You can just walk there. Da, 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 da. I am in the plan of God. Or you can go through the school of hard knocks. The school of hammer, sledgehammer, and two by four. And eventually, because all the pressures of life and all the drama and all the stuff, okay, Jesus, okay, oh, Jesus, have mercy. I do what you want me to do. And now you're in the plan of God. Finally. But you could have, with your brilliant self, gone, da 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 The choice is yours. It's like those old Captain Planet cartoons. The power is yours. The plan of God is still there. And sadly, some people, even with all this drama, still don't go to the plan of God. They're addicted to the drama, addicted to the trauma, and they stay here. And so what happens, there are people who are just committed to the plan of God, and they stay here. And God eventually gives them the assignment of another. And you know what? If God gives them the assignment of another, he'll give them the reward of another. So they won't tell me yes, but I know you will. They won't say yes, but I know you will. Now let's go to James chapter 1. Now that my introduction is done. James chapter 1. Remember in Mark chapter 4, that Satan comes to apply that pressure, it says, so that the people stumble. That word stumble means to be offended and means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. And it means to cause to fall away. So he applies that pressure. Jesus uses the imagery of a sun scorching a new plant so where nothing is remaining. He uses that pressure of affliction and persecution to make people offended, to make them stumble, to make them to begin to distrust God, and to make them fall away from what God told them to do. The storm, the pressures of life, the attacks of the devil do not come to make you strong. They come to take you out. Now, I know we like to be religious, say, oh, this pressure came to make me strong. No, it didn't. It came to take you out. That's what it came to do. I know, we got tons of songs on Christian radio, and we sing about the problems. Instead of the solver of the problems, we sing about the problems. We glorified the grind instead of the God who's empowered us to go through it. So let's go to James chapter 1, verse 1. Now, this letter is written by the Apostle James. It's one of the earliest letters of the New Testament, if not the earliest. The only other one that's about the same time would be 1 Thessalonians, which would be close when it's written. So the letter, the epistle from James is one of the earliest, if not the earliest, written. And it's written by James, the little brother of Jesus. Can you imagine growing up in the same house with Jesus? He should be like your brother. Well, Mom, you said he was perfect. Mom, you said an angel showed up. Mom, like, could you imagine that? 
But imagine James's perspective on life. Because from his early years, he remembers living in the house with Jesus. And when you read through the book of James, outside of what the Holy Ghost has given him to write, his writings is influenced by two main other passages of Scripture. Number one, the book of Proverbs. Number two, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You see James re-echoing these things through his letter from the book of Proverbs and the Sermon of the Mount. And so as James is writing, you know, after Peter leaves and begins to do what God's called him to do in other places, he's supposed to stay for a while, then God sends him to other places, James becomes the lead central figure at the church of Jerusalem. The scripture even calls him a pillar. And so he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Paul, so sometimes we read the scripture, we miss it. The 12 tribes who are what? Scattered. Wait a minute. We just read about the people who were scattered, right? So now they've been scattered and James is writing to them. They've been scattered because of the attack of the devil, right? Now, some of them left the door open for that attack, but they have been scattered because of the pressure, because of the attack. Now, imagine what your life would be like if you had to run for your life. If you had a moment's notice and you had to leave everything you've ever known and go to another city, another state, another province, another country, only probably taking what you can carry, unless you had an animal, you could put something on quickly and make it out. So imagine what you may be going through. The mental stress, the physical stress, the emotional stress, the relational stress, because these have fam people have families. The financial stress. And now you're in a new place having to settle in a new place. Who knows if you've ever been this place before. This is stress. This is pressure as a result of Satan's attack. So he's writing to these people who are under pressure because of the attack of the devil. And notice what he tells them. My brethren, count it all joy. This is not like buried deep in the letter. It's the beginning. After he says, what up? He says, I need you to count it joy. You know, sometimes some of these New Testament writers, they have long greetings. James got right to the point. He said, greetings, what up? Count it joy. <laughs> that phrase, count it joy, means consider it joy. Well, consider what joy? When you fall into or you are enveloped and surrounded by diverse or diverse or different temptations. This word temptation means trial. It means testing. It's the same word that describes what Satan put Jesus through in Luke chapter 4. He said, consider it, count it, joy. Now, excuse me, Jesus' little brother. This does not seem joyful. Bruh, you are still in Jerusalem. You and Jesus' family, y'all still there. You and the other apostles, y'all still there. But... We had to run for our lives. Excuse me, we don't look like Jesus. We literally had to run. What do you mean, consider it joy? Consider this temptation joy. Now, pause, just so you remember. Who's behind the test they're facing? Satan, right? some of us get it twisted. We listen to too much Christian music and we think it was God. So let's try it again. I want to make sure there's clear, clear, clear understanding. 
who was behind this test? This side got it. Let's talk to the side. Who was behind this test? All right, online. Who's behind the test? Go ahead and put it in the chat. It's not a trick question. Put it in. It's Satan. And he said, consider it joy. That word joy is not just joy. It means an occasion for joy. Come on. We think about birthday parties, weddings, different things we accomplish in our career as occasions for joy. He says, account, consider, think about what you're in right now as an occasion for joy. Come on, you're like, preacher, you've lost it. Out of everything you could write us, preacher, you said, count it joy. I don't see some, a money donation. I don't say, here's to help you build your new house. You said, at the beginning, after you said, what up? Consider it joy. Say, consider it joy. Come on, let's say it again and put it in the chat. Say, consider it joy. Why? Verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying, the testing, the proving of your faith works patience. In this example, who is testing their faith? Right? Who's causing this test? Satan. It's although he's putting pressure on your faith right now. Although he's the one testing your faith right now, here is what is going to produce in your life. Here's what you need to know. This is the reason why you call, you count it and consider it joy or an occasion for joy. It produces the Christian cuss word. <laughs> Patience. Come on, anybody have kids and you tell them, be patient? So they'll wait five seconds and ask, I say, no, no, I need you to be patient. I wonder if God feels like that about us sometimes. You ask for something, just give me a second. Five seconds later, be patient. The pressure put on your faith, the testing of your faith by the enemy will produce in you patience. But see, that's not just the word patience. This word patience has a deeper meaning. It means cheerful endurance. Because some people can be patient. Like, you know, I like to run. And so when you start off running, you have to build endurance. And sometimes when you're starting, that endurance doesn't look joyful. Have anybody ever driven past people just running, just all happy and enjoying life? And you're wondering, how are you smiling while running? I remember I went to school. We had a time during our uh, PE classes where it was called the fun run. And back then I said, that is an oxymoron. <laughs> fun run? So we had to do in college. They called it a fun run. I'm like, yeah, to the track people on scholarship, that's fun. But the rest of us, how's that fun? Because, you know, if you don't have any endurance, it's not going to be fun. And everybody's going to tell on your face that you are not having fun. But James said this will produce in you cheerful endurance. This word also means steadfastness, long-suffering, perseverance, 
the characteristic of a person who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and God's way of living due to the pressure of tests and trials. He says, this is what it's going to produce in you. Verse 4, let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, one and nothing. Let me read from another translation. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Remember who he's talking to. These are new believers, right? Some of them I've been saved for days, some months, maybe a couple years. These are new believers in different stages of early maturity, right? He said, let that patience that's being produced, that cheerful endurance, that perseverance, that steadfastness, let it finish its job, and the result will be you will be mature. Because, see, when you respond to the pressures of life, depending on how you respond, you either become more mature or you become immature. And I'm not talking about a musical group. Depending on how you take the test you're in, because spiritual growth is not linear. You can go forward or backward. Depending on how you respond, you can be mature or you can be immature. But notice, you can be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. Imagine, remember, context is king. The people he's writing to, what would they be lacking right now? Imagine all the things they could be lacking, all the stuff they went through, all the stuff they left behind, all the stuff they lost, all the things they're going through. They could be lacking a lot of stuff physically, mentally, emotionally, in their families, in their relationships, in their finances, in the house. There is opportunity for them to lack a whole bunch of stuff, right? But just stick with this cheerful endurance because when it's done, you won't lack anything anything. Is that what the scripture says? I didn't make up that scripture. It's right there. If you stick with this cheerful endurance, when it's done with you, you'll be in a place where you won't lack anything. So he says, consider it joy or an occasion for joy because you know what the end of the story is going to be. So that means with whatever test or pressure you're facing today, you have to consider it joy, even if you're the reason why you're going through this test. Even if you open the door, I'm not saying there's a little crack, you may have opened the door wide, said, come on, Satan, blast me, come on. That could be the cause of the test you're in. Or you could have been in the right where you're supposed to be and Satan attacked you and applied pressure. No matter why you're in the situation you're in today, Consider it joy because you know the end of the story. Consider it joy because you know what's being produced in you. Consider it joy because you know what the result is going to be in your spiritual formation, your maturity, and in your circumstances, you're not going to like anything. So consider it joy, an occasion for joy. Well, what is an example of doing that? Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. When he is going through 
Pressure upon pressure upon pressure. You read 2 Corinthians 11, it is pressure unlike none of us have experienced. He lists pressures. With one of those things, people was like, that's enough for me, Jesus. He has a list of affliction, persecution, and then the third attack of Satan, the cares of this world or anxiety. He lists three things Satan is putting on him. And he, he says, it's from Satan. It's a messenger of Satan has been sent to hit me again and again and again and again and again and again. And again and again and again. Like something just keeps happening. It's like, don't make sense. A test already? Another test already? Like, I'm barely dealing with this one, yet something else showed up? Anybody else ever been through that? Well, that happened to me and my wife recently. We're supposed to be on break and resting. We're at home, and our house catches on fire. It's not figuratively, not metaphorically. There is fire, and there is a smoke, and the fire department's on its way. They show up, you know. Thank God there's no damages, no anything. Praise God for his protection, his miraculous deliverance. But I got out of my house the fire chief, the fire lieutenant, eight other firemen and women, police officer, an ambulance driver, because they thought we got hit by lightning. They're all there. And you know what? That wasn't even the highlight of the week. There was so much other stuff popping off that was just like, huh, of course it did. It really wasn't even the big thing of the week. And so I mentioned to people, like, what, your house caught on fire? I said, oh, yeah, that was just one of the things that happened that week. And so afterwards, we dealt everything, and I put the fire extinguisher down, all the other stuff. I, in the midst of it, I was like, Father, I just thank you for the victory. Because this is just straight stupid. <laughs> With the list of stuff, this is that stupid. But he protected us. He delivered us. And I was like, yeah. Satan showed his hand again. I know I'm walking to the greatest season of my life. So I can either choose to grow some more gray hair and die in blonde again. Or I can choose to have the right perspective. And so after we got everything done and calm, it's like, you know, I told my wife, I'm going to take a walk. Why am I taking a walk? I'm getting my perspective right. We talk to Jesus about how greatly annoyed I am about what just happened. Why? So that we can consider it joy. There's a process to considering some things joy. And we talked about part of that process last week. You got to talk to Jesus about how you're actually feeling. This is where you are right now. So this is how I'm feeling, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm going through, but I'm not standing here because, God, I choose to believe your word. I choose to believe what you said. I choose to believe your word over my emotions. I choose to believe in your faithfulness. I choose so I know the end of the story that I'm going to be at the end lacking nothing. So you consider it joy. And so Paul's been through a lot, and he's prayed about it three times, like, gee, Get this devil away from me. God, get this demon away from me. I know the cause. Get it away. And God didn't say anything for the first couple times. The third time, he finally said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace 
is enough. It's made perfect in weakness. What is the specific weakness? Dealing with this drama the devil brought Paul's way. The reason the devil sent that drama to Paul is because he's been effective. Satan wanted Paul stopped at all cost. Rick Renner shared that the Greek behind this means Satan says, I want his head on a stick. Do whatever you can to make Paul lose his head. That was the attack. And so Paul, rightfully so, is praying. And God responds, my grace is enough. So it took God these three times to tell it to him because mostly this is something that Paul actually already knew and understand. How many times you already knew what you're supposed to do, but you just forgot it? And God had to remind you stuff he's already told you a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times. He says, my grace is enough. It's made perfect in weakness, 2 Corinthians 2, 9 still. He said, most gladly, therefore, I'll rather glory or rejoice in my infirmities. That means weaknesses. So in the midst of my weaknesses, I choose to rejoice. Now, rejoicing is not always a loud shout. Rejoice can be just, Father, I thank you for the victory. Because how I many know you can be in public places going through something, and it's not the time to take a lap or backflip, do a Pentecostal somersault. It's not the time. But a simple lifting of your hands and say, Father, I thank you, is rejoicing for the moment. There is a time to tear up that altar and run back and forth, yes. But there's a time and place for everything. But in the moment, Father, I thank you. Oh, God, I thank you. In the midst of the pressure, in the midst of the test, in the midst of the drama, Father, I thank you. I'm not thanking you because of the test. I'm thanking you in the test. In everything, give thanks. Or as old saints, you said, hallelujah, anyhow. In the midst of it is a hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. In the midst of that, it's a glory to God. In the midst of it, Father, I thank you. In the midst of that, I trust you. In the midst of that, Hosanna. In the midst of that, praise the Lord. In the midst of it, I choose to rejoice. In the midst, it is a choice. And the hallelujah may be dry. It may sound slightly sarcastic. It'll sound a whole bunch annoyed. But you're making the decision, say, Father, I give you glory in the midst of this. Why? That the power of Christ, the anointing of God that removes burdens, that destroys yokes, that miraculous power we've been talking about all summer may rest upon me. Because if that power comes upon me, I can deal with it and I can win. Therefore, I take pleasure in, that means I think well of weaknesses and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So he says, I think well, which means I am going to think positive. In the midst of the pressure, I'm going to think positive. And in the midst of the attack and the test, I'm going to keep my mind right. If you're going to walk in victory, you got to keep your mind right. You can't just think on every single thought that comes to your head. That means on a time of intense pressure, you need to watch what you are consuming. 
I'm not saying it's wrong for you to watch Netflix, but if you're going through, you may need to pause Netflix for a moment. Binge that series later. Get what you need to get for right now so that you can experience the victory that God has given you. What does the test demand that you do in this moment? What do you need to consume so that you can produce the right thing? You are what you eat. And so if you're never eating what you need to win, then, well, you got what you get. So Paul said, I rejoice in the midst of it. I keep my mind right. I think well in the midst of it. Remember, this attack of Satan was to make him to take his head so that the power of God rests upon me. And no matter what happened, Satan could have killed Paul. He tried again and again and again and again and again. Paul didn't leave. He said, I'm ready to go. Because even a few years before that, he was like, you know what? I kind of want to go. I don't have to deal with this drama anymore. But if I stay, it's going to be good for you, Church of Philippi. So you know what? I made up my mind. I'm going to stay. So he did. And then when he was ready to go, he wrote Timothy a letter. Hey, come see me in Rome. I'm ready to go. Because remember, it's not automatic. He didn't email Timothy. He wrote him a letter. Imagine how long it took Timothy to get the letter. And then to respond and go to where Rome was. That took some time. And Paul said, I plan to be here for a little while. I left my favorite hoodie back there. Make sure you bring it with me. So he planned, I said, well, if I'm going to stay here a few more months, at least I'm going to be wearing my favorite cloak, my favorite hoodie, my favorite jacket. Hey, bring it. He left when he was ready. The pressure didn't make him check out early. Why? In the midst, I choose to rejoice. In the midst, I think well. So the power can rest upon me, and I can deal with these things. Go back to James. Let's wrap this thing up. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, now it's any wisdom, but by context, this is a wisdom to deal with the drama, right? To deal with the pressure, to deal with the attack, to deal with the test. If any of you lack wisdom, ask of God. That gives to all men liberally and upbraid us not. God's not going to get on you for asking for wisdom. Wait, I thought I was in a test. Yes. You know, it's a religious phrase saying, oh, the teacher is silent during the test. Bull. That is religious dung. Your teacher is not silent during the test. She said he'll lead you and guide you into all truth, except when you're taking a test and he's going to be quiet until you're done. Your teacher is not silent during the test. See, this book I brought is not just a book. It's the teacher key. Every test you face is an open book test. But how many of you ever took open book tests at school? That you might have 45 minutes to take the test, but if you didn't read that book ahead of time, you're going to struggle during the test because you won't know where to find the answers. You need to read and study ahead of time so you know where to go so that you can apply the answers. That's why when the test came to Jesus, he could say, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. You got to read the book before the test so you know how to respond during the test. And you don't just have to respond generally because, you know, some of us, you know, we like, Let's machine gun some scriptures. Now, if you could do it and talk like that fast, more power to you. That's not a lot of power, but at least it's better than you saying the opposite. 
But you know the scripture, and you can ask your teacher. Because remember, the teacher of the church is not trial. The teacher of the church is not sickness. The teacher of the church is not poverty. The teacher of the church is not Satan. The teacher of the church is the Holy Ghost. So you acknowledge him. Sir, what should I do about this test? Sir, what is the answer to this problem? And he will tell you what to do. He'll show you how to appropriately apply the teacher key and answer the right test. Answer the right question on that test. He's not quiet during the test. He said, well, I've asked him, he didn't say anything. What was the last thing he told you? Because sometimes you look back at the last thing he said. This is exactly what you need to do right now. I remember I was going through something, this was a situation about 10, 15 years ago, something like that. And, you know, I was talking to God about it. I was like, God, I need you to do this. I'm praying about it. I'm doing really good. I'm talking to Jesus about what I'm going through. And then he responded in the midst of my prayer, well, when are you going to do what I taught you? Then I looked back to the series that Bishop was teaching at the time. I'm like, that's exactly what I need to be doing right now. I took some good notes. I might as well put my notes into action. Some of you take great notes, but when's the last time you did those notes? For years, I've given you my notes, but when's the last time you used them? And when I stood on it and did it, it changed. Boom. The teacher is not silent during the test. It's an open book test, but you need to be in that book before the test so you know where you can find it is written. Verse six, but let him ask in faith. That's key. If you're gonna ask for wisdom, ask in faith. Nothing wavering, don't doubt about this request. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think, which one? The one who goes back and forth. Waver means to go between one opinion to another. And what is the opinion here? God giving you wisdom. That's the context, right? You asking God for wisdom and faith. You going back and forth. Well, God heard me, answer my prayer. Amen, praise God. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if God's going to help me. I don't know if God's going to tell me what to do. Oh, praise God, man, minister Dave, the minister committee, they really sang that song, I believe I'm going to get my wisdom. Oh, I don't know, it's Monday. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. You're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Like a wave tossed back and forth by the wind. And James says, don't let that person think they'll receive anything. Some people deconstruct their faith because they don't receive anything. And James said it right here because you went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What is double-minded? Going back and forth, back and forth between opinion. Will God be faithful or will he not? Being God be faithful or will he not? I'm not saying that thought came to your head. I'm talking about dwelling on that thought, acting on that thought, talking about that thought. In a way where now you believe that thought. And then you go back to believing what God said. Back and forth. That is being double-minded and you will be unstable in everything you do. That lets me know a single-minded man can be stable in all his ways. That if I keep my mind on the plan of God, keep my mind on what he said, keep my mind on his promises, I can be stable no matter the pressure. Stable no matter the storm. Steadfast no matter the pressure applied. Remember the scriptures of the Old Testament. 
that he'll keep you in perfect peace, complete peace for those whose mind is stayed on him. That in the midst of the test, you can keep your mind on him. Because if you do that, you can pass the test. Because James goes on, I'll paraphrase for now, maybe we'll get into this next week. He said, when you're tested, don't say you're being tested by God. That wipes out a whole lot of Christian music right there. <laughs> he says, don't be in test by God because God doesn't test or tempt anyone with evil. Now, there are tests that come from God. Maybe we'll get into it next week. But that pressure you're going through is not God's test. Context. Who sent that test on them? Satan. So in the midst of a test of Satan, don't say, God gave me this test. Oh, God gave me this disease to teach me something. Come on, even if that was true, that means get better quick and lose it. But you don't believe that. And so James says, don't say it was God's fault. And then he goes on and says, every good and perfect gift. That phrase, good and perfect, means good, completing, upgrading. All those, up, all, every, that comes from God. If God gives it to you, it's good, it's upgrading, it's complete. It doesn't help you live the life he's called you to live. That's what he gives, not these tests that have come to destroy you. But if you rep respond to them correctly, you'll grow mature and in a place where you like nothing. James goes on and says there's no shadow of turning in him. He's not going to change his mind. This is who he is. This is what he does. But your job in the midst of the trial and the test, keep your head. Consider it joy. Know the end of the story. In the midst of it, praise God. In the midst of it, stay positive. In the midst of it, ask God for wisdom. And after you ask God for wisdom, stay in faith. Because what's going to be the end of the story? You'll be mature and you'll lack nothing. Another test already? Yep. But guess what? If you pass the test, you'll be promoted. If you pass the test, there's a reward. If you pass the test, there's recompense. If you pass the test, James talks about that crown of life, and then he also talks about the scripture that, think about this, the three Hebrew boys, stand to your feet, maybe it'll help me close. Maybe. The three Hebrew boys thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, did God set up the fiery furnace? Who did? Nebuchadnezzar and his crazy self. After he made a statue of gold that looked just like him and told everybody to bow down. When you hear the beat drop, I want you to bow. The whole kingdom bowed, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's kind of awkward that they didn't bow because they're the king's officials. So imagine, they're not in the back somewhere, they're up front. And they're just standing there. Everybody else is on the ground. They're going, dude. And it's brought to the king's attention. These three Hebrew boys that you brought in and promoted, they didn't bow. And Nebuchadnezzar is not known for his patience nor his temp nor controlling his temper, calls them in and says, it's been told me that you didn't bow when my mixtape dropped. 
but I'm in a good mood today. I'm gonna give you another chance. When I hit play on this music, you bow down, everything will be forgiven. But if not, I'm gonna throw you into a fiery furnace. And who is that God that can deliver you from my hand? So notice he's asking them a question. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond and said, we are not careful or cautious to answer you in this matter, O king. They kept it respectful, but it says, we don't have to think about it any longer. If, now if is responding to the question, what is the if? If you throw us in, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us, O king, and he will deliver us, O king. If not, if not, if God doesn't deliver us, no, no, no. If not, what is the question? If you don't throw us in, we'll let you know we ain't going to bow to that statue. The king loses it. Says, heat that furnace seven times. How look, one time's going to kill you. You don't need seven times. Sin makes you stupid. They throw them in with a fire was so hot, it caused the guards who threw them in to die because of the heat, because of the flame. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, thrown into the fire, and said, the ropes that tied them burned up. But now, Nebuchadnezzar's waiting for screams. He's looking into the furnace. He sees three men walking around the fire, unbothered, untouched by the flame. And he keeps looking. And it says, yo, advisor, didn't we throw three dudes in? Oh, yes, king, we did. What? I see four walking around in the fire. And the fourth one looks like the son of God. Jesus was in the midst of the test with them. In the midst of the pressure they said, our God will deliver us. In the midst of the pressure, they said, we won't bow. In the midst of the pressure, we stay on God's side. And through time and space, the Son of God, Emmanuel, Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach appears and walks in that test, that fire with them. So that when they come out of the furnace, they don't even smell like smoke. None of their clothes is singed. And this wicked, crazy king begins to say and praise God and make new rules. Nobody can talk bad about their God. And do you know what was the end of the story? It didn't stop there. It's that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got promoted. After passing that test by the devil, their influence and their authority increase. Satan tried it, yet these guys won and ended up with more authority, more influence. You now I studied this out. These guys weren't actually that old when they're thrown to this. They were probably about 20 or 21 when they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Because they said, we won't bow. And God promoted them. Remember, it didn't make sense for them to be promoted because they're not from Babylon. They don't look like the Babylonians. They're young guys. And now they're ruling throughout an empire because they 
successfully passed the test, Satan threw their way. What's on the other side of your test? What's on the other side of your storm? What's on the other side of this pressure that you're facing today? He has promotion for you. He has no lack for you. He has maturity for you. He has wisdom for you. He has good and upgrading gifts for you. You can't quit now. This is part of life. You got to pass this test. Choose to rejoice. Choose to think well. Choose not to blame God for your problems. Stay in faith. Nathan, help me real quick as we close. I want you to sing, I will pass the test. 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 No matter what the devil does. No matter what the devil does. I have the victory. I have the victory. No matter what he throws my way. No matter what comes my way. I am on the winning side. I am on the winning side. So I will pass the test. So I will pass the test. I will pass the test. Yeah. So I will pass the test. I will pass the test. Sing it with them. Hey, I will pass the test. Come on, sing again. I want this to echo through your soul this week. Amen. I believe today's message encourages you, it strengthens you, it's helping you to live the lifestyle of faith. If you're ever in the metro Atlanta area, we'd love for you to worship with us in person. You can find information about our different locations at fccga.com. Also, we have so many different ways where you can get the word. You can download our Faith Plus app. You could also visit us on our social media pages, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook on YouTube. We'd love for you to connect with us. We also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as on Spotify. We have two. One is called the Faith Podcast and then we have our daily devotional podcast which is called Faith in the Morning. I look forward to seeing you on many different social media platforms and in person at Faith Christian Center. Thank you so much for tuning in and remember something good is going to happen to you today so expect miracles. God bless.